Imagine your absolute favorite brand reaching out to you and inviting you to join them on a trip somewhere extravagant. How about, let's say, Dubai? Of course you accept, even though there may not be formal payment involved, but you find yourself on a plane to Dubai for the brand trip of your dreams. You get there, you check into a hotel that probably costs more in one stay than you make in the entire month. You are showered with gifts and just out of this world experiences, and all you have to do is share this experience on your socials. If you're on TikTok, chances are you've watched videos from the extravagant Tarte influencer trip to Dubai that happened in January of this year. This is just one thing that we're seeing more and more brands invest in as a marketing strategy versus the typical sponsored post with a creator. The creator economy is ever changing, but there have been some recent trends such as these extravagant brand trips that we've been seeing a ton of this year. For example, have you heard of de-influencing? Or what about the Michaela Nagara L'Oreal Lashgate drama? There are a lot of really important lessons that we can learn from these recent occurrences in influencer marketing. I'm Kristen Busquen. I've been a full-time creator for over three years and I've brought in over $350,000 from sponsored posts and content creation collaborations with brands so far. Social Scoop is the podcast where we teach you, the entrepreneurial creator, to turn your online influence and creativity into a profitable, self-sustaining business. Today, we're here with Leah Haberman, a UCLA influencer marketing professor and an expert on building influencer programs for brand campaigns. Leah has worked on the brand side, building out influencer programs and hiring influencers for campaigns, but also teaching and mentoring influencers. She has spent the past two years leading marketing for an influencer-led fitness brand too, so it's safe to say that she has a good understanding on expectations on both sides. We're giving you the scoop on how the 2023 influencer marketing news can be dissected and learned from. This, my biz BFF, is Social Scoop. Before we dive into today's episode, I'm so excited to tell you about our free guide that I have for you for being a loyal listener of Social Scoop. If you find yourself asking, how can I run a profitable creator business? You will be so happy to hear that I packed all of my most valuable resources into one major guide for you so that you can make the moves you want in your business. The Profitable Creator Business Playbook is a free guide that teaches you about connecting with brands through our proven framework, the anti-pitch method, if your rates are in line with your peers through our creator rate database, and the questions that you need to ask yourself if you're looking to turn your creator hobby into a business with the Roadmap to Full-Time Guide. So you can grab your free copy in the show notes below. I cannot wait to hear how you guys like it. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 70 of Social Scoop. My name is Kristen, and as always, I'm so excited that you're here. Is anyone else absolutely floored that we are 70 episodes in? This is crazy. Don't go back and listen to the first few episodes. They are cringy, to, to say the, the least. <laughs> Anyway, we have a lot of news to get through today, so let's go right into it so we don't beat around the bush today, okay? First things first, Instagram is testing a new memories prompt. Basically, Instagram is testing out a new way to prompt users to reshare their old posts with a memory story prompt now showing up in some users' feeds. So you'll see this if you are part of the test, or again, if it gets, does get pushed through and goes live, you will see this at your stories tab or your stories queue right at the top of your screen. Once you tap on the memory story, 
You will then be shown previous stories that you've shared around the date that is today, whatever date you're looking. So it's essentially giving users a more direct push to reshare their past stories, which is similar to what Facebook does with their on this day prompts. And essentially, this could encourage more engagement within the app. This is something that as I was reading more and more about this new test that they're doing, a lot of the websites were saying, this is something that Instagram is basically trying to do to kind of reignite some engagement on the platform. So we'll have to see what happens with this. I don't know that I have a lot of stories that I've shared in the past that I necessarily want to reshare, especially because a lot of my stories are just like me talking about what's going on in my day or sharing things like that. I could definitely see this being useful, but not a huge piece of news. We'll have to see what happens with it. Also, for all of you internet stalkers out there, Instagram is testing the ability to search viewers in your stories. So when you're viewing your stories slide stats, you will be able to see a search bar if you, again, are part of this test. You can type in there to actually search who's viewed your story. So I know, you guys, you little internet sleuths over there, you're looking to see if this person or that person actually looked at your story, instead of you having to scroll through everyone who's looked through your story, you could literally just type in their name. So I think for all the internet sleuths out there, this will be very useful in saving time if you're already going to be looking through who viewed your stories. My mind immediately goes to like my friends who want to see if their ex-boyfriend is viewing their story. It could be used for good. It could be used for bad. But I do suggest that if you do end up using this, don't go too crazy with it because I feel like we need to protect our mental health in 2023. And this to me is like not something that I feel like is going to be beneficial to my mental health. Personally, you do with it what you will. Now, if you've ever gotten spam comments on TikTok, I don't know, guys, there's sometimes when I post like certain keywords that I realize I get a lot of spam comments. If this ever happens to you, TikTok is actually rolling out a new strikes-based system. So let me explain to you what this is all about. Creators will accrue strikes as their content is removed. So if your content gets removed for going against community guidelines or anything like that, if they then reach a threshold of strikes within either a product feature like comments or TikTok lives or a policy like bullying or harassment, you will be permanently banned. So they're not messing around anymore. The company has basically said that the threshold will vary depending on the violation and how, I guess, severe it is. For instance, there might be a lower threshold for violating hateful content policies than there would for posting spam, basically. So if you're annoying versus actual like hateful or harmful, there's going to be like different consequences for you there which I think makes sense. The accumulated strikes are going to be expiring from an account's record after 90 days. So for example, you know, if you have a video that goes against the community guidelines and you appeal it and they don't do anything about it and this goes as like, again, quote, like a strike against you, essentially that strike will expire from your account's record after three months or 90 days. I love this though. I think that it's very smart that TikTok is starting to do this because again, I just get so many spam comments. I get so many like hateful comments and I really like the idea that we actually can do something about this. Obviously the spam accounts are probably just going to make a new account and like I don't know that it'll ever stop but I think it will be a lot more work for them and the lazy spam people might actually like chill. (laughs) So that would be really nice. However, however, recently I've been working with a local CBD and cannabis company here in Charlotte and we started a TikTok account that I've been managing for them and it's a little 
nerve-wracking with this strikes-based system because it's so difficult with them. Like we have to be very careful about the way that we're saying things because CBD is a keyword that goes against community guidelines. You know, like cannabis, any of those words can get our videos taken down. So if that happens three times, I would have to start a completely new account for them. So it does make me a little nervous for things like that where people actually aren't trying to be harmful or you know like do anything sketchy we'll have to see how it goes but let's just put all of the good energy out there for me into the world because that would be a big hassle and I do not have energy for that (laughs) let's be honest now this was a feature that a lot of people that I've talked with recently have been confused about Uh, we've heard about it but we don't fully understand it I spent some time researching this particular feature and I think I understand it but I have to say it's incredibly confusing and almost like a little counterintuitive to what Instagram has been saying. Instagram is expanding access to their Reels-focused tipping feature called GIFs. So if you heard of Instagram GIFs, then this is what I'm going to try and explain to you right now. So this feature actually began testing last year, and what it does is it allows fans or followers to provide your favorite creators with an actual direct monetary form of support in the form of themed virtual gifts. Okay, so you've probably seen this is very similar like on TikTok where basically you can you can give stars to people, you can give gifts to people, you can give flowers. Like, And, and honestly, when I'm using it on TikTok, I, I can't even pay attention to it because it's so confusing to me and it feels like such a distraction. Maybe I am alone in that. I'm not sure. You guys let me know. But Instagram is kind of doing their version. So essentially, follow along with me here. The gifts are purchased in the Instagram app using their virtual currency, which is called stars. These gifts can cost anywhere from 10 stars to several hundred stars. And to give you an idea, I needed to figure this out for context. For Instagram gifts, stars are available to purchase in the app. And essentially, you can get about 45 stars for a dollar, 140 stars for $3, or 300 stars for $6. So a star is not expensive. Okay, so we as creators are getting gifted uh, these gifts from our followers. They're buying them with actual money, okay? Following. Instagram will then provide you, the creator, with a revenue share from your reels that received gifts on a monthly basis equal to one penny for every star received from fans. So I'll be honest with you guys, this is where it gets confusing to me. I'm going to read it word for word so that you can understand and, and I'm not like confusing you even more. Instagram will then provide creators with a revenue share from your reels that receive gifts on a monthly basis equal to one penny for every star received from fans. So you as a creator can see your total and monthly approximate earnings in your professional dashboard. You get paid out whenever that balance goes over $100. And that is including your earnings from other monetization programs like the reels bonuses. So what I'm not understanding fully is like if a follower is buying a gift, is it just a certain number of stars and then we get paid out per every star that we're getting? Like that's where it's a little confusing to me. And I have to be honest, I don't think that this feature is going to be life-changing financially for anyone unless you have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of followers. Um, So for us little people, I'm assuming most of you guys who are listening are probably micro influencers, nano influencers, um, you know, like no one who's like a mega influencer is, is probably listening right now. Um, so I don't think that this is something that 
I would like really worry about right now. Um, if you can play around with it and see how it works for you, great. But I, I just think it's a little confusing. It's a little distracting. And the amount of money that I think you would actually end up making from these star gifts is just so minute that I can't even imagine like putting a lot of like, I feel like I've already put too much energy in it just trying to figure out how it works. <laughs> So creators in the U.S. are going to basically be able to check if they're eligible to receive gifts in their professional dashboard. If you see that you are, then you can toggle on that option. For followers, you'll see the option to send the gift right above a creator's username on a reel. So again, this gifts feature is only for reels. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing and a little counterintuitive to me. Badges, remember badges, those were aimed at live videos. Gifts are only focused on reels. So if you remember, let's rewind it just about a week or two when Adam Seri come on and said, you know, we like went too hard with videos. We're going to put the focus back on photos because like this is what we do best. Like we're going to get to our roots, right? Now, why are you pushing all of these financial incentives for creators on reels then? If you all said you wanted to focus on photos, why are we trying to do this more with with reels. It's confusing to me. Um, Again, this is not something that I would like expect to pay your rent or pay your mortgage or whatever, unless you have a ton of followers. From what I understand, you're only getting a penny for every star that you receive from your audience. Um, and, And I have a big problem personally. I don't like the idea of asking people to tip me on top of asking them to purchase my offers. I would personally rather, as a creator, ask people to spend money on something that they're going to get, like an ebook or a program or coaching or whatever it is, versus just being like, hey, can you, you know, spend a dollar so I can get like 50 cents? You know, like, wouldn't you rather put the time and energy into creating something that's going to get you a little bit more of a financial, you know, reward and also your audience is going to like really get some value out of it? That's personally how I look at it. Again, I think if you're a creator with like hundreds of thousands of followers, this is going to add up. Yes. Uh, However, you do still have to kind of like ask people to you know, give you a star or a gift or whatever they want to call it. And I don't know that that's something a lot of creators are comfortable with. Now that I have literally gone and just mushed my entire brain trying to figure out this gifts thing. Also, am I missing the mark here? Like, is it really not that confusing and I'm just like not understanding it? Or does this feel very confusing for you guys? I would really love to hear your thoughts on Instagram gifts, but we are going to stop talking about it right now before we all go insane. All right, guys. Anyway, let's dive right into this episode with Leah Haberman. So many good topics that we're talking about, all very timely and relevant. And I can't wait to hear what you think. So let's dive right into the rest of this episode. There have been so many different things going on in the the creator economy as of recently that I've been hearing about. And as usual on Social Scoop, we don't always get to talk about the the kind of news and what's happening we we talk about the news but not always these like strategic things that we see playing out in our industry so today i'm actually really really excited to be able to talk with someone who gets it and about all of these topics that we don't usually get to talk about so today we're here with leah haberman leah thank you so much for being here thank you i'm really excited to get into all this 
Yeah, this is like some juicy stuff that we're talking about today. So this is very exciting. Um, for anyone who doesn't know you yet, can you kind of give us just the rundown on who you are and what you do? Yeah. Um, so, I, well, first I'll say it's juicy, but also with a side of business. Um, yes. So I am previously was a marketer. I started um, early days of influencer marketing, and then I actually got hired by UCLA to teach a class at UCLA Extension on personal branding and influencer marketing. So I've been doing that for about five years, you know, both teaching and kind of mentoring and inspiring influencers, but then at the same time, also working for brands and hiring influencers for campaigns. Um, and then two years ago, I started working for an influencer um, as her chief marketing officer, running her fitness business uh, for an app and a uh, supplement product. Um, and then I also, about two years ago, started writing a newsletter called In Case You Missed It. And it's it goes over kind of, you know, business news, cultural trends, platform updates for specifically curated for creators. And I did a survey in January about like what people wanted more of. And they talked about they wanted more case studies or why things worked. And so you know, as the things we're going to be talking about today, <laughs> um, I decided to start digging in a little bit. I think before it was kind of more of an overview of like, hey, here's seven really important things that you should know about if you're a creator that happened this week in the news. Um, and then this year, I just kind of pivoted a little bit to dig in a little bit deeper. So the tart trip, the de-influencing, things like that, looking at whether it's campaigns or things that influencers are doing or creators are doing and digging a little bit into why is this working or why is it not working and what people should be thinking about for the future. I love so that. I think, <laughs> I, I think first of all, it is so crazy to me that maybe like maybe I am aging myself a little bit here. Um, when I went to college for advertising and marketing, we did not, the influencer world did not even exist. Like we didn't speak a word of influencers. And now there is a literal college course on influencer marketing. I think that is the craziest thing ever, the coolest thing. Also, I wish that I could teach about influencing. I think that is so cool that you get to do that. Um, I love it. It's my one of my favorite things to do. I've been doing it five years and like, Hopefully I'll do it five, 10, 15 more, whatever, you know, whatever direction influencing goes or creatorship goes, obviously it's going to evolve, but yeah, it's, um, it's fascinating. Definitely really cool. So the first thing that I want to talk about is de-influencing and this one, I feel like was not as widely talked about maybe. Um, so for people who are listening and have never heard this term before, can you kind of give us the rundown of what this even means? I think at its most basic level, de-influencing is pretty much what you think it is what you think it is. It's influencers telling you what not to buy. So typically they're influencing you to like consume something, um, yeah. you know, think of something, have an idea, kind of change your behavior. And this time it's they're literally telling you what not to do or what not to buy. Um, so that's kind of like at the basic level. Uh ahead and kind of give you my my take on yeah. what I think de-influencing has morphed into. It's possible that when the first person um, created a de-influencing video, there really was this kind of uh, idea that influencers are always encouraging us to buy this, do this, watch this. Um, and it could have been kind of a rejection of consumerism or consumption. Um, right. that's what a lot of kind of traditional news outlets came out and they were like, oh, this is great. Like influencers are de-influencing. They want us to buy less, spend less money, you know, um, shop more sustainably. 
Mm, okay, I, I actually think that that might be uh, kind of like overcomplicating what we're seeing. I think yeah. what's happened is influencers are looking at it. It's more of a curation strategy. So it's not don't buy this, but it's don't buy this and buy this instead. It's really just a way of kind of pointing you in the direction that they were going to wind up in anyways. Um, but, you know, they'll offer something up at, at the outset and say, like, don't yeah. buy this product. Um, but then by the end of this video, they're going to be they're going to, you know, tell you to buy this mascara instead or this meal plan or, you know, whatever it is that they're promoting. So I think it's really developed into more of like a curation content strategy um, versus some sort of like larger anti-consumption movement um, yeah. that influencers are pushing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't think that that's an inherently bad thing. I think it's just like, let's not ascribe motives to it that yeah. aren't actually there. Um, and I think that just kind of shows the bias of like, whoever's writing those articles is like, that's their assumption or their bias. Definitely. But if you actually watch the de-influencing videos, you know, they're doing get ready with me's with all kinds of products. And then they're like, but don't buy this one product that doesn't actually work. Right. So. When they're talking about the products, they're not like, don't use this. You don't need it. They're like, you need this instead. So I, I agree. When I first yeah. heard this term, my first thought was, oh, wow. Like maybe it is about consumption and overconsumption, really, because I think yeah. that's something that a lot of creators maybe didn't necessarily struggle with previously, but are starting to be a little bit more conscious of, which I think is actually really great. Um, yeah. I, I actually wonder what that will look like in the next couple of years. Um, there's, I don't know any sort of real name for it at this point, but the idea of creators actually just recommending things that you really, really need, not just like all of these things so they can get people into their Amazon storefronts or, you know, onto their affiliate links, which I think is something that starts to give influencers a bad rep kind of. Uh, and, and those are where a lot of those assumptions come from, you know, from people that are on the outside, like, oh, all you do is sit around and recommend makeup products all day, you know? Ultimately, it's a struggle, right? Because if they really de-influenced you and told you, you don't need any new products, just go into your closet, go into your makeup drawer and use what you have. And here's how you can do it. And there are creators that do that. There are influencers yeah. that are like, you know, create like, you know, shop your own wardrobe and stuff like that. Um, right. Ultimately, they don't make money. And if they don't exactly. make money, it's kind of like this, this um, constant battle we have between art and commerce. And like, we want our influencers to be authentic. We don't want them to encourage people to overconsume. But at the same point, we want their right. free content. Like you want to tune in every day. You want to watch the get ready with me. You want to watch these things. Like it costs money to have the products to do the get ready with me or whatever yeah. it is that you're watching. Um, and the, and they need to be paid. So I think it is, right. we do have this struggle right now. And like you said, I'm not sure what the ultimate is or like how we solve for this. Um, but if they're, you know, if your income is tied to recommending products, then you're going to have to continue recommending products in right. whatever way that you can. Um, so it is, we, we have these, I think, unrealistic, I think like society has these unrealistic expectations of influencers or creators and that like, they should just create content for us for free, stop pushing products. And it's like, it doesn't work right. that way. That's all part of the exchange. So um, I exactly. feel for, for influencers. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not an easy position to be in. I feel like you really have to 
pick and choose and decide like what you are going to be recommending. And maybe that's something that is through a paid partnership or is not. But again, like there has to be some way that you're, you're sustaining creating all of this free content. Um, now, thinking about the like traditional de-influencing term as we were originally talking about it, is this something that you think creators should be steering clear of or not? I think about this in the way of working with brands. For example, I mean, we're going to talk about Tarte after, so we'll use Tarte as an example. Um, if I love Tarte, but like there's products that I don't like from them, is it going to steer Tarte in the opposite direction if I were to post something that says, you know, like, oh, my de-influencing post, do this, but don't use this Tarte product? I think it depends on why you're de-influencing a product. And so I think if you're saying, listen, I love Tarte for X, Y, and Z, but I don't use this because I found a better alternative. I think that's okay. If you come out and you're an influencer yeah. or a creator and you're, you know, you're, you're hoping to work with Tarte and you say, don't use their mascara because it's a shitty product and it um, <laughs> clumps and just makes me look awful. Then I think, yeah, you're pretty much like ruling out future opportunities right. with that brand. Um, so I think it's being in it, it's it's everything an influencer um, or kind of a creatorship is like being intentional. So being super intentional about the products that you use, about the products that you recommend, about the products that you uh, de-influence. And I think I don't think that rules out future partnerships. But again, it's like being yeah. very specific, very intentional. If you do rule something out, you do it in a way that doesn't close future doors. If you do, if you don't care, and you're like, I'm never going to work with this brand, they're just not part of me, they're not part of like my overall brand, and they don't align with my values, then I think it's okay. Yeah. You can be like, yeah, never use this product. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that we'll see that. But I think creators that are doing that have thought very intentionally and strategically about, okay, it is unlikely I'm ever going to work with this company. And I'm okay with that, because yeah. I much prefer, you know, these other XYZ brands. And these are the brands that I want to work with. So I'm going to align myself with those. Yeah, I actually think that if I were on the brand side, again, from from the perspective of Tarte, and someone talked all the time about my products that they love, but maybe there's a few that they don't like, I think that's very realistic. Not every product, especially with a brand like that from Tarte, for example, or Benefit, these brands that have literally every possible makeup and skincare product, like, there's no way that everyone is going to love every single one. So I feel like it almost comes off more authentic if you are saying like, well, this wasn't my favorite. I do have something else I like instead of this. Um, but you know, like I, I do love everything else that I've used from Tarte. Like that feels very authentic to me versus, oh my gosh, I love Tarte. Everything they do is perfect. Like they do no wrong, you know, because yeah. obviously, again, I don't, I don't think that's a very realistic I think it, it comes across in like two opportunities for from the brand side. One is, like you said, it's much more authentic. Um, and really kind of gives like a validity to like, they're, they genuinely like your products because they're not just recommending yes. everything, but specifically those things also. And this is something I'm always recommending to, to brands that I consult with, um, or, you know, people that I'm talking, like marketers I'm talking to is like, bring in influencers beyond just like an endorsement post. You should be looking at influencers as essentially like focus groups and consultants for you, bringing them in for R and D, yeah. bring them in for focus groups. Like if somebody is recommending your products and they're, but they de-influence or don't recommend like a certain product, like 
I think that's an area of opportunity for for growth and and discussion and be like, reach out to that influencer, you know, any brands listening, reach out and be like, hey, you know, we're just curious, like, why don't you like it? We're not going to take it personally. We just want to know, like, influencers are one of your best sources of information, of understanding your customer, because they understand your customer better than you do. So it's like, reach out to that influencer and ask them, what is it that you don't like about this? How could we make it better? Like, I think it's actually tremendously valuable for brands. Um, You just, you have to be very confident about your product and not get offended, not take it, you know, this isn't personal, it's business and just use it as an opportunity. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think overall, the message is just like being honest about what you're sharing, but strategic about it as well. If you are going to be kind of like protecting your future as a creator, if it is a brand that you want to work with one day. Um, So I also wanted to talk today. This was kind of like my favorite thing to talk about. um, These massive brand trips that influencers are going on. Um, Tarte was the one that I think really this year started to like ruffle some feathers um glow recipe i think they they maybe have just gotten back um at least when we're recording this just a a couple days ago um but that trip is like pretty active so there's these two big brand trips obviously the idea of brand trips is not new by any means brands have been taking creators on these trips for years i'm so curious to hear your thoughts as to why you think this tart trip just like blew up the internet and everyone just kind of like realized that these are happening um it's a different type of trip so first of all i think it's the first time that like it's a major tiktok creator trip as opposed to previously we've seen like instagram or youtube um and i think we were used to it with revolve it's something that they've done for a really long time revolve also i feel like a lot of trip not all of them but like some of the trips kind of aligned with things like coachella or were like incorporated into other festivals for example i think the tart trip was okay we're not going to dubai for uh, like some other kind of we're not glomming onto another festival we're not just like a house like a retreat house at another festival. This is like, it's all about Tarte. It's all about TikTok creators. Um, I think one of the reasons that it ruffled feathers and it's not necessarily accurate, but because of the economy and everybody was like, yeah. you know, it's $10 for a carton of eggs and you're flying these people to Dubai. <laughs> I, th- I think the eggs thing yeah. was like a big um, comparison <laughs> point for a lot of people for a lot of different things, not just the Tarte trip, but like everybody was saying like, okay, you know, the cost of eggs and they're going to Dubai first class and staying at the Ritz and doing all of these luxury things. Um, So I think like against that backdrop, a lot of people kind of took it in the wrong way. And again, I think it's almost like the de-influencing where you have the people that are writing the articles at these, at media outlets or, you know, examining this or analyzing this um, are not necessarily you know, TikTok, they're not necessarily on TikTok. They're not necessarily into TikTok creators. They're not necessarily part of Gen Z. I don't think a lot of the articles were written by Gen Z. And really this Tarte trip, I think, was specifically aimed towards a Gen Z customer. And so I think a lot of it was like bringing biases on of, you know, this is what we think influencing should be. This is what it shouldn't be. Um, And just kind of being very, uh, I would say, judgmental about Tarte's efforts. Um, so yeah, it was, it was interesting. They really, it was like a perfect storm of all of these, (laughs) um, all of these elements that went into it. And I, I almost feel bad for the, the glow recipe trip because 
clearly like when you plan a trip of this magnitude with these influencers, you have to make sure they're free. You have to, you know, book their schedules, right. uh, work with like managers, agents, whatever. Clearly the glow recipe trip, like that wasn't thrown together at the last minute. Like that was in the works planned. Um, right. but yeah, they must've been, uh, I feel like that must've been frustrating for the people that planned the glow recipe yeah. trip to have tart happen like just weeks before when they knew they had this so big trip coming together <laughs> with a lot of the same creators and just thinking like, yes. oh, if we could just get a fraction of the headlines that Tart is getting from this trip. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was very interesting to watch from the outside. And I think one thing that I saw in a lot of videos or I saw a lot of people explaining was why brands even do these like massive trips you know for the amount of money that they probably spent on that trip they could have you know talked to a ton of other influencers and you know done sponsored posts with all with they could have basically spent that budget in a very different way with more influencers why do you think that they did this like why do you think that they dedicated so much of of their budget to this specific trip with only what I think there was five or six influencers that went on the trip uh no it was closer to 20 or 25 I think and they oh, all wow, brought really? their plus okay. plus ones yeah um oh my gosh. <laughs> okay well I mean there's like a couple of different ways to look at it I think you know people saying oh they could have spent their budget in different ways um if you look at like Tarts financials they're doing pretty well um, they were, I think, like to know it came out with a survey or, or um, statistics around last year of like the best selling influencer products on like to know it for 2022. And Tarte was number two. Um, so like wow. they're doing well, they're doing really yeah. well with influencers. So these are people that kind of have a big budget. And I think a lot of, um, you know, maybe influencer uh, campaigns or influencer programs or trips tend to be kind of like on the smaller side. But you look at like something that I was discussing is you look at like the Super Bowl, companies are paying $6 million to have one Super Bowl spot. So like if yeah. a company like Budweiser or Doritos or whatever it is can do one Super Bowl spot for $6 million, like what is the, to me, what is the problem with Tarte doing $6 million yeah. for a big influencer trip? And like, honestly, with the amount of articles, like, I don't think it reflected that badly. There were a lot of people who jumped, like criticized and jumped on the criticism again, because it was trending and it was like a content strategy to like right. come on and criticize Tarte. But like the amount of articles that got written, um, the fact that we're talking about on this podcast right now, like whatever they spent, and I don't think it was up to $6 million. Um, I think it was probably like, it could have been a million or, a, you know, one to 2 million, yeah. but I, you know, I don't think it was 6 million, but even if they did, if you look at the earned media, which is like all the press that they got for it, plus the whatever sales, plus the fact that like, they right. really made a huge impact on TikTok. Again, like I think Tart had been, yes. you know, it's been around for a while. I think like YouTubers knew about it. Instagrammers knew about it, but I think like it wasn't, it hadn't made a huge impact yet. Um, on TikTok. And this made a massive impact on TikTok. It kind of put them on the map. Um, I, th yeah. I think it's money well spent. And if they don't spend anything else for the rest of the year, they still got more mileage out of this trip than I think a lot of like smaller uh, influencer marketing campaigns. I, I think like, I think it's really smart as a strategy, as a marketer. Um, I think you either do a lot of kind of tiny campaigns or you go really big and yeah. you do one massive thing you're trying to move the needle 
Um, and so I think like landing somewhere in between, it's just kind of like a lot of white noise. And so they, I think they just decided like we have the budget and instead, uh, instead of spending like all of these kind of like, you know, doing these small things, five, $10,000 throughout the year, we're just going to go really big. Um, and I think it worked out for them. I think we're going to see a yeah, lot of I companies would... try and recreate. Like, I don't think other companies are going to be yeah. as successful. Um, but I think right. that like a lot of companies are going to look at this and be like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it really put even the brand trips on the map, you know, like, again, these have been going on for so many years now. And a lot of people didn't yeah. even know that they existed. But after hearing about everything that we heard about with this trip, like, it's impossible not to know what happened. So all of that being re related to tar, you know, like all press is good press at the end of the day, like people were talking about them, we're talking about their brand, they wanted to go watch those videos, because they wanted to see Oh my god, wait, I have to see this Dubai trip for myself. And yep. everyone saw their products and all in all of that content. So I actually think it worked out really well, too. Um, yeah. And how about the the glow recipe trip? Any any thoughts on that one? Um, yeah. And one thing I'll just add both for glow recipe and for mm -hmm. tart, the thing that, um, if you look at like, kind of like, uh, spending trends, Gen Z is on trend to be by 2030, they're going to be the largest consumers of luxury products. So when I was saying like, um, Oh, we're going to talk gossip, but business as well. I think like you have to have an awareness of like economic yeah. trends, um, and, and understand like where things are going. So that's one of the reasons that I'm like, okay, everybody that might look at this and be like, Oh, this is terrible because the economy sucks and you know like people are suffering yeah. um yeah but gen z doesn't necessarily feel the same so i think it's really important to be tapped into like how does gen z feel about luxury trips and luxury products well turns out they're right. pretty okay with it because they're kind of headed in the direction <laughs> of like they're living at home they have you know more disposable income like you have to have an understanding of all of these factors okay so the glow recipe trip like Great as plan. we said um i think uh, I feel for them in that theirs happened to be right after the tart trip. I think they might have gotten more mileage out of it if it hadn't, if the tart trip hadn't happened first. I think I feel like yeah. I've heard people talking about the Glow Recipe trip, but it's been much more insiders, like other people in influencer marketing and other creators right. versus kind of like mainstream media. Um, I mean, it looks like a gorgeous trip. I think it's interesting. So especially for your audience, the people that are creators or influencers, and we were talking about being strategic and being intentional. From a brand side, I think the Glow Recipe trip looks gorgeous. I think it looks very luxurious. Um, I think they they took a really good mix. They have much more diversity on their trip. So I think like, yeah. as opposed to Tarte, I actually think the Glow Recipe trip was like, um, from a brand side, they were much more, uh, they were much smarter, more intentional, kind of put more thought mm -hmm. into like the people that they curated to have on this trip. From an influencer or creator perspective, the videos that I've been watching, um, like it seems like a much more wild, reckless party. Um, there's been a lot of I like saw, drunkenness, thing. hangovers. Um, and I'm not sure if Tarte asked people not to talk about that, but I feel like the perception is the Tarte trip was a little bit more like high end and luxurious. Um, the yeah. Glow trip felt a little bit more, and this is not Glow's fault, but I think it, from an influencer perspective, it felt a little messier, um, a little more chaotic. From strictly speaking, like as a, you know, somebody who uh, works with creators, influencers, hires them, advises them. Um, I think yeah. you just have to be really intentional and strategic about what you're doing. And it's the same thing about de-influencing a product. You want to be thinking 
five, 10 years down the road. I think everything that you do, you should show up with like, you know, intention and strategy. Yes, you want to be authentic and there's nothing wrong with having fun. But I think you also want to think about like, okay, if I want to launch a company in the next year or two, like how do investors feel about my behavior right now? And so, you know, you should be constantly thinking about it's the creator market fit. Like you think about how do I show up and be authentic? How do I show up in a way that my audience appreciates and enjoys and I can, you know, influence them? But also how do I show up in a way that like current and future and potential sponsors, investors, business partners are going to think about me. And those three things need to always be kind of in, uh, there needs to be a balance of those three. And so I don't know the glow trip. I just felt like, um, especially as influencers and creators become entrepreneurs, become business owners, you look at like Mr. Beast, Emma Chamberlain, the trend really is the D'Amelio sisters. You're looking at all of these people who are like going into traditional industries, launching you know, more traditional companies where they're selling things, you know, whether it's a, a service, a subscription, you know, like apps, products, um, you just want to be thinking as like a smart strategic business person and like showing up sloppy drunk is like, it's fun. And I'm sure it's authentic (laughs) to what they were doing and like their audience might like it. But I just think in terms of like longevity as a creator entrepreneur, um, that could cause problems for you down the road. And so, you know, would I do it in such an open way? Like, no, I'd kind of like have fun, but I think just like I would rein it in a little little bit just to think about like the future of my career. And again, it depends what your plans are. Like if you're just a creator and you're like, it's a side hustle, it's a hobby, it's fun. I just want free stuff and I want to get like a few things, but like, this isn't my, like my main gig. This is not my plan in life. I, I'm not entrepreneurial. I basically want to get a job. Like that's fine. Yeah. You know, whatever there's, there's, I think there's probably less impact or um, less consequence there. But if you are that person that's like entrepreneurial and you want to bring out your own, develop your brand, bring out your own products. I think it's worth thinking about. That's a really great point. I mean, from glow recipes perspective, but also from the creator's perspective as well, it's like paying attention to, what you want people to see when they Google your name, that's that's got to always be in the back of your mind. I, with the way I was kind of like looking at this trip at first was, I, I know they were launching like an, some hydrating product, I believe. Um, I mean, a lot of what Glow Recipe does is all hydration based. Um, but I, they went to Wyoming, a very, very cold place that where they could really show where all or how all of their hydration products really worked. And then as soon as I saw all of the videos with them going out and I was like, maybe they picked those party people like on purpose so that <laughs> they could have really dehydrated, like hungover skin and they could show how good their skin looks after using glow recipe products. So I wonder like if that played a part into who they chose to come on this trip because I know there were a couple girls on that trip that are very much known for you know like the Alex Earl she's always out there partying in a bikini somewhere so (laughs) that kind of like made sense for me um yeah I mean it's very companies never do anything or rarely do things by accident so it is true that like anytime you see something it's probably intentional um yeah, absolutely. I think they may have picked people who are going to need that like recoup- <laughs> that skin recuperation, glowiness, whatever. Um, it just, it felt like from like an objective kind of outsider perspective, it just felt like 
um, it went a little bit over the top. And I don't necessarily think that that's on glow. I think it's more when I watch it and I think about creators and their careers and their career longevity, I'm just like, wait, like, Uh what's your plan next year? Because like, you (laughs) don't want this video, like, like this video on the internet, like you want this to disappear because this is not going to look good in like a board meeting or like when you're going out and asking for like a $10 million investment, like this is not what you want people looking at on their phones during that, in that conference room. Right. And when it's on the internet, it never goes away. Um, And actually one person who has, I think, learned that very much so in the last year is uh, Michaela Nagara. She is kind of the next topic that I wanted to talk about here. Um, Another thing that I think, unless you're living under a rock in the last few weeks, you've probably heard about this. um, Michaela Nagara and the L'Oreal telescopic mascara situation. For anyone listening who hasn't heard about this somehow. Um, basically, Michaela Nagara, beauty influencer, she was doing a paid partnership with L'Oreal for one of their mascaras and showing how good the mascara worked. She was, quote unquote, wearing false lashes or she was accused of also wearing false lashes. So um, this was... I mean, this like blew up the internet. I felt like everyone was talking about this and so many people went to buy that mascara to show (laughs) like, no, like it really works. Or like, no, she was lying. It doesn't really work. So what did you think about this whole debacle? Um, I think there must've been some really interesting meetings after the video between L'Oreal and Michaela. And a little bit to your point, or, you know, how we talked about like, nobody does anything by accident. Um, First of all, we don't know that Michaela put false lashes on. And that's why I've been hesitant to like weigh in on, you know, either side, because she still has not acknowledged whether or not after she applied the mascara, she put false lashes on, which is kind of the accusation that everybody's saying. It's not an authentic video. It wasn't the mascara. It was actually the false lashes. And she's never confirmed that. Like that's literally based on speculation. Um, What I think was interesting is that after that happened, I feel like it's like... um, acceptable risk. Like I assume L'Oreal and Michaela talked, there's always a clause in the contract. Like if a brand is unhappy or feel like somebody did something inauthentic or like somehow damaged, if there's going to be any material damage to the brand, they're going to take that campaign, like cut that campaign and ask the influencer to take it down. And typically it's in the contract. Like you need to take that down. If the brand asks you to take it down, the fact that, um, you know, it's gone on and nobody, I think they did take the, she took the video down, didn't she? Or is I don't it still think so. Up? At least she, yesterday it, when I was researching, it was, it was still, still there. there. The fact though, that they haven't come out with a statement, like she hasn't come, she went on the glow trip. Right. So she's out there doing stuff. L'Oreal right. hasn't come out with a statement. She hasn't come out with a statement. I, I assume that like they reviewed the video, they weighed the risks and they decided right. that, you know what, this is really good. You know, all press is good press. Um, we're getting really good mileage or traction out of it. The fact that she hasn't cut that L'Oreal didn't ask her to release a statement. Um, I'm assuming, I, again, this is speculation and I don't know, but I'm assuming that maybe they weren't false lashes, but L'Oreal is just loving yeah. the fact that everybody assumes they're false lashes. They're going out to try it. They're <laughs> using the product. Right. Um, because like, I, I don't think like a brand won't leave that to chance. And so I think if there really was something there, um, I think that they would have made her 
not only take it down, but also issue a statement and and um, right. kind of like distance themselves from her um, and tell people, you know, and, and have some sort of statement where she would have to apologize for it. And they yeah. would have to say, we don't condone this behavior. Um, you know, so I think the fact that that hasn't happened, I think they probably assessed the risk. They looked at what happened and they were like, yeah. this is an acceptable level of criticism that we're willing to um, to kind of endure because people are going to try the mascara and they're going to realize that it's a pretty good mascara. I've never tried the mascara, so I, I, I don't know. Um, but I have seen like all these <laughs> other sponsored. people, right. Not sponsored, but I have seen other people, you know, I think Remy Bader tried it like last night. She didn't happen to like it. Um, but I thought it was interesting if she did put false lashes on, obviously that is kind of like the worst that always sets influencer marketing right. back when somebody gets busted for something like that. And you're like, you're endorsing a product and then you're kind you of like faking. The rest of us. <laughs> you're ruining it for the rest of us. It's like faking the product or faking the endorsement, right. faking kind of the results or that that's what everybody's looking for is a transformation. It's like, you want to think that like your life's going to be better, happier, fitter, uh, more wonderful. Right. Your house is going to look better, whatever it is. It's like, we believe in influencers because they're kind of like the guides leading us on a path to transformation. Like my life is going to be yes. better if I take this advice. And so if it is false, I mean, it's, it's terrible. And it's kind of like the, you know, the very worst example of what everybody accuses influencers of doing, which is like faking it and being inauthentic. And it's just about the brand yeah. deals. Mm, maybe I'm an optimist. But again, because she hasn't put out a statement because L'Oreal hasn't distanced themselves from her or put out a statement. Right. I'm going to be optimistic and say, maybe it wasn't false lashes. Maybe their mascara is just really that good. Um, yeah, but yeah, we don't we don't know. <laughs> we will never know probably <laughs> um yeah I had actually I mean like there were so many videos about this all over TikTok of people talking about you know what their thoughts were on this and I found one person's video that I thought was so different than everyone else's she had basically said that for someone who's been a makeup artist for so long like how did she basically like make it look like she had false lashes. like how did she make so many people believe that there were false lashes on uh make him make him look so obvious basically and so she thought that the entire thing was something that like was strategically planned to basically market to influencers so that influencers because again how many big influencers went and bought that mascara and showed it to their whole audience and then now everyone's audience is is talking about this mascara and only they only had to work with one person pay one person to get it um and especially after like the lack of Michaela's response it almost felt and she had like the beginning of a video where she said like all right guys you know what we're gonna talk about today it was the first video right after the big video. And so you thought right. that she was going to come on and again, like release some sort of statement, but the, the way she kind of like teased it, it was almost just like, did she do this on purpose? And this was like a whole planned thing. And, and it was an interesting opinion. I don't know. I don't know where I stand on the whole thing, but I saw that and I was like, wow, like I could see that. Like, again, everything brands do is intentional. So that could totally Super have been intentional <laughs> and very rarely make a mistake. So I think it's like, whether it was, yeah, let me blatantly overtly fake it with lashes and then see what the fallout yeah. is, um, which seems risky. I mean, it's an interesting idea, but I think, uh, you know, or she did it again, people accused her of using false lashes and maybe they weren't. And it was just, that was just the mascara. And L'Oreal was like, 
let's run with it because honestly, yeah. like this is the best accusation we could get that our <laughs> mascara creates the look of false lashes. So, you know, let's, let's just kind of let it go. Um, yeah. That is interesting. And I think you touch on an interesting point though, is that like now the whole outrage strategy of like jumping on another creator's mistake is its own content strategy now of like finding other people to criticize and just that like, yeah. um, I don't know that, that to me is like too bad that that's just become like a thing. And I know it's not new. Yeah. I think we, it's just newer to TikTok. I think like the whole YouTube, like YouTuber beauty drama was literally just reacting to each other and <laughs> right. like, you know, calling out each other's shit. And I feel like, okay, we finally, TikTok was like more original content, I think, you know, yeah. for a while. And now I think that we've kind of like come to like that saturation point where people are like, how can I stand out? And they're like borrowing that the YouTube model. Um, so yeah, yeah we, we've gotten Definitely. to that stage very interesting the whole watching the whole thing play out was quite the scene um what do you feel like creators can kind of take away from this experience what I made a video on related to this experience was FTC guidelines um because I I felt like it was they were kind of thrown in there her her uh disclaimer was or disclosure was very quickly and not super visibly thrown in there. And so I think that also bothered a lot of people. Um, so I had made a video talking about like, you know, different things she could have done uh, to disclose that it was an ad. Um, do you feel like aside from that, there's anything else that creators might be able to take away from this experience? Um, I think the FTC is a really good one. I think a little bit to your point, and we see this, I see this on Twitter a lot, where people will make an kind of slightly outrageous but harmless statement or make a mistake a little bit like you said like do something that's kind of like blatantly or overtly wrong not necessarily like illegal or unethical um mm -hmm. but i think i you know in a way i feel like that's a way to get people kind of like engagement baiting essentially is like right, right. you know have like a typo in your caption i mean it drives people crazy especially like <laughs> when you have like the closed captioning and there's like a very yes. obvious mistake and people won't delete that i think it's like thinking about that of like I, you know, in a positive way, again, you don't want to be like, do anything illegal or unethical, but like, right. are there things that you can do or like offer like an, a contrary opinion to something that's very popular, yeah. um, that, you know, people can jump on and debate in the comments. Um, you know, it, I just, it yeah, seems like that's point. become, and you know, the thing that I would love to see too, is like, when everybody is saying their false lashes, when everybody is criticizing the tar trip, like come out on the other side. I don't know. That's something I felt like we're not seeing enough of. It's like everybody's jumping on the like anger and outrage, but like, why not come out on the flip side? To me, that's kind of like a, a big, um, like a blue ocean strategy, like empty space where like yeah. that nobody's filling. It's like, come out on the other side or also like do a little, I don't know, just the whole outrage for outrage's sake. Um, and talking about the economy and whatever, and not looking at like the details, like just think about, you know, like do like critical thinking, like who's in this story right. and is this actually true? Like does Gen Z hate luxury products? No, actually they don't. They're like the primary consumer for luxury products. Like, oh, that's interesting. Right. I just feel like you could have spun out a lot more content around that, not you, but like just kind of, you know, creators in general could have yeah, spun yeah, out yeah. like a lot more content around that. And like looking at like larger kind of like 
you know, macroeconomic or cultural trends. Um, Again, with the Michaela, it's like, I don't know, be the person that like takes a bird's eye view and looks at it and is like, uh, is a little bit more, I don't just looks at it from the flip side. I think if like, if everybody's going to the right, go to the left, like when everybody zigs, you zag. Um, And just, I think that there's something to that in, in like, not just being outraged um, and producing like outrage content just for the sake of it. (laughs) Yeah. Outrage content. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, I definitely think if you're in it looking for, you know, to a lot of people like rode on this wave of the drama so they could get views when they were talking about it. And I think if you're in it to get views like that, it's very true. Like if you are kind of talking about it from a different perspective, like when I heard the girl about the the opinion about oh they're marketing to influencers that was something I hadn't heard versus every other person had the exact same thing that they right. were saying so you know like how can you offer a different perspective or a different opinion on something if you are going to talk about it I think that's actually a really great point something that I yeah. could learn from as well it takes a little bit more research and a little bit more thought and planning to create that content because like yeah. you actually have to go look for the different perspective <laughs> but I think yeah. there's a better payoff for you as a creator in the end than just jumping yeah. on the bandwagon and doing the same video that we already watched like a hundred times before literally <laughs> yes yeah. exactly that was that was awesome so I'm so glad we got to talk about these topics I think there's a lot that creators can learn from them um thank you so much for for spewing your knowledge today I love it (laughs) thank you thank you for inviting me I appreciate it of course and we will see you guys next week for another episode